0: Chapter 23, Part 2 of Margaret Sanger by Margaret Sanger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 23, Part 2 In Time We Can Only Begin. In addition to the health aspect, we planned to treat of population and also have a doctor's meeting on methods and technique. But flaming youth was having its fling, and the great clamor of the moment was directed towards the moral issue. Opponents were constantly hurling the statement that immorality among young people was to be the inevitable fruit of our efforts. This I did not believe. I knew that neither morality nor immorality was an external factor in human behavior essentially these qualities grew and emerged from within if the youth of the post-war era were slipping away from sanctioned codes it was not the fault of birth control knowledge any more than it was the fault of the automobile which made transportation to the bright lights of the city quick and easy Immorality, as a result, should not be placed at the doors of Messrs. Ford or Chrysler. In order to have a free and fair hearing, we proposed a large open meeting to wind up the conference and invited ministry and clergy of all denominations, including Archbishop Patrick J. Hayes, who was the spokesman of the Catholic Church in New York the movement was older in england and had already established its dignity there consequently the presence at the conference of such an outstanding englishman as harold cox was certain to carry weight to persuade him to take the sea voyage i sailed for europe when i arrived in london i found him unwell and his doctors at first refused him permission to travel under the circumstances it was very fine of him to promise to come j o p bland also said he would look in on the conference if only to give it his blessing he was a dark-haired witty amusing north of irishman who had lived much in the orient and become an authority on far eastern matters an internationalist in all his thinking HE WAS ONE OF THOSE WHO ALWAYS HELPED TO HOLD UP YOUR RIGHT HAND. MY OBJECT IN ENGLAND, HAVING BEEN ATTAINED, I WENT ON TO SWITZERLAND WITH A DEFINITE AIM. I HAD FORMED A HABIT IN MY NURSING DAYS, WHEN I WAS WAITING IN THE NIGHT TO GIVE MEDICINE OR TREATMENT TO A PATIENT, OF OCCUPYING THE TIME, PUTTING DOWN EXPERIENCES AND THOUGHTS THAT CAME TO ME. THE SAME HABIT CONTINUED after lectures while i was still sizzling with excitement i often relieved the tenseness by writing down answers to questions i feared i had not covered adequately before i knew it i had material gathered for a book and even some chapters in rough draft they needed pulling together and polishing off and i went to bed in montreux for a month to do this I had regarded Woman and the New Race as my heart book. This, the pivot of civilization, was to be my head book. I brought it back with me to the United States, and Wells, who was reporting the Washington Disarmament Conference for the New York World, wrote an introduction. To make our conference a success, it had to be under the auspices of an organization. I had always had a dread of them. I knew their weaknesses and the stifling effect they could have. They seemed heavy and ponderous, rigid, lifeless and soulless, often caught in their own mechanism to become dead wood, thus defeating the very purposes for which they had initially been established. Even the women who were able and clever at systematizing such bodies terrified me, "'with their rule and rope minds, "'their weight-and-measure tactics. "'They appeared so sure, so positive, "'that I felt as if I were in the way of a giant tractor "'which destroyed mercilessly as it went. "'In spite of this dread, "'I had reasoned out the necessity for an organization "'to tie up the loose ends. "'Although it might be limiting,' and inhibiting to the individual, it had other advantages of strength and solidity which would enable it to function when the individual was gone. Therefore, I sent a questionnaire to leaders in social and professional circles, asking them whether the time had not come for such a national association. The replies almost unanimously confirmed this decision. The evening before the conference was to open, a few friends gathered together to launch the American Birth Control League. Its aims were to build up public opinion so that women should demand instruction from doctors, to assemble the findings of scientists, to remove hampering federal statutes, to send out field workers into those states where laws did not prevent clinics, to cooperate, with similar bodies in studying population problems, food supplies, world peace. After the dinner, given at Mrs. George F. Rubley's home, we talked over specific plans for the year and set in motion the machinery for having the League Incorporated. Juliet Barrett Rubley had been one of the pioneers, a member of the original committee of one hundred, and all the way through the years she has never wavered from my side no more inspired idealist was ever initiated into a movement the imagination of this picturesque romantic wife of a conservative lawyer had been so fired that she dedicated to it her entire devotion loyalty partisanship others had rallied their own personal friends around the idea but juliet's influence brought in her husband's associates the cravaths morrows lamonts dodges and blisses juliet's parties were always gay and interesting with an atmosphere nobody else could create her small engaging dining room was as colorful as she herself the only woman i ever knew who dared to wear bright greens reds yellows all together for lunches teas and dinners in behalf of the cause she practically turned over her home in turtle bay gardens a goodly number attended the opening of our conference which appropriately coincided with that of the great disarmament conference at washington the medical meeting where contraceptive technique was discussed was so crowded that latecomers could not squeeze in the doctors who did find places each apparently surprised to see his confreres there expected us to have a hundred percent sound methods they seemed disappointed because we had no magic up our sleeves and told them quite frankly we had not the best we could do was show what devices were being employed including those from the netherlands and the preparation i had found at friedrichshaven with the warning that they had not been tested for efficacy after two full days nothing remained but the sunday evening mass meeting on birth control is it moral for this we had selected the town hall on west forty-third street a new club designed as a forum for adult education the auditorium was often used for discussion of questions of civic interest harold cox was to deliver the first speech and i was to follow always when i am to speak i attempt to visualize the hall and the audience in order to feel my way into the subject when i cannot do so I have invariably been met by blocked doors. Throughout Sunday, try as I would to tune in to the approaching event, I could not do it. I kept remembering a dream I had had the night before, in which I was carrying a small baby in my arms up a very steep hill, and came rather abruptly to a slope which became a mountainside of rock and slippery shale i had nothing to grasp to prevent me from sliding the baby cried continually and i wanted to comfort it but i dared not use my right hand because it was held up like a balancing rod which saved us both from falling that miserable dream made me drowsy all day my brain seemed numb i simply could not think of what i was going to say Ann Kennedy had gone ahead to the town hall at about seven o'clock. Harold Cox and I had dined at Juliet's, but I could not eat. I was interested neither in the food nor the conversation. I still had an absolute blank in front of me. Juliet was congratulating me that soon, with the conference over, I could have a rest. Ordinarily, when I am approaching the end of a particular job, I begin to feel released. But this time I could not reassure her. I was nervous, anxious, and apprehensive. Our taxi swung into West 43rd Street and crept cautiously along through a swarming aggregation. "'Heavens!' I said. "'This is an overflow with a vengeance.' we dismounted and pushed our way to the town hall doors they were closed and two policemen barred our path when mr cox and i attempted to enter this gentleman is one of the speakers and i am another i said why can't we go in there ain't going to be no meeting that's all i can say i had not the faintest idea of what was happening a newspaper man standing nearby suggested why not call up police commissioner enright and see what the trouble is juliet and i rushed across the street to a booth and she telephoned police headquarters no one could say where the commissioner was as far as they knew no orders to forbid the meeting had been issued then i put through a call from mayor highland while I was waiting for the connection, I kept my eyes on the town hall entrance and saw that policemen were cautiously opening the doors to let out driblets of people. If they could get out, I could get in. So I abandoned the telephone and wove my way through the throng until I reached the doors, slipping in under the policemen's arms before they could stop me. Dignified health officers from all over the country, lawyers and judges with their families and guests, were standing about, grumbling, vague, reluctant to depart, wondering what to do. I fairly flew up the aisle, but halted in front of the footlights. They were as high as my head, and another blue uniform was obstructing the steps leading to the stage. Suddenly, Lothrop Stoddard, the author, tall and strong, seized me and literally tossed me up to the platform. A messenger boy was aimlessly grasping flowers which were to be presented after my speech. Stoddard grabbed them briskly, handed them to me, and shouted, Here's Mrs. Sanger. Don't leave, I called to the audience. We're going to hold the meeting. A great scramble began to get back into the seats. The hall was in a turmoil. The front doors had been stampeded and those in the street were pressing in, only to find their places gone. The boxes and galleries were soon filled. The stage was jammed. Hundreds were crowded in the rear. I cried, Get in out of the aisles! I knew the meeting could be legally closed if they were blocked, and I did not want fire regulations to be used as a pretext. I still had no idea of what had gone on earlier when I commenced my lecture, but had uttered no more than ten or twelve words when two policemen loomed up beside me and said, "'You can't talk here.' a thundering applause broke out as though it were the only relief for angry indignant rebellious spirits why can't i i started again but my voice could not be heard i then suggested to harold cox perhaps they'll let you speak try it this white-haired and pink-cheeked gentleman walked to the edge of the platform with a dignity of bearing about as distantly removed from immorality as could be imagined. Ladies and gentlemen, he began, I have come from across the Atlantic. But that was as far as he got before he was led back to his seat by a policeman. Then. Mary Windsor, an ardent suffragette, sprang up, but they stopped her also. As soon as one was downed, another jumped to his or her feet. I did not know the names of some of the volunteers, who were not even allowed to finish their ladies and gentlemen. Meanwhile, Anne Kennedy was telling me, as best she could, what had happened prior to my arrival. When the house had been half filled, a man had come to the platform and asked, "Who's in charge?" "I am," Anne had answered. "This meeting must be closed." "Why?" "An indecent, immoral subject is to be discussed. It cannot be held." "On what authority?" "Are you from the police?" "No. I'm Monsignor Denin." "'the secretary of Archbishop Hayes. "'What right has he to interfere?' "'He has the right.' "'Here he turned to a policeman. "'Captain, speak up.' "'Who are you?' Anne had demanded. "'I'm Captain Donahue of this district. "'The meeting must be stopped.' "'Capable and cool-headed Anne had replied, "'Very well. We'll write this down.' and i'll read it to the audience i captain thomas donahue of the twenty sixth precinct at the order of monsignor joseph p Deneen, secretary to archbishop patrick j hayes have ordered this meeting closed the listeners had sat petrified while she had read them this strange admission no hissing or booing then they had just sat it was one thing to have the hall shut by a mistaken or misguided police captain a very different thing to have it done by a high dignitary of the roman catholic hierarchy monsignor Denin was now stationed in the back of the hall and Anne pointed him out to me of medium size in plain attire Calmly directing the police by a casual nod of the head or a whisper to a man who acted as runner between him and the captain on the platform. Confusion and tumult continued for at least an hour. Newspaper men were scribbling stories. Those who could not get in were creating commotion outside. The reserves had been summoned. It was bedlam miss windsor tried to speak two or three times i at least ten but i knew that i had to keep on until i was arrested in order that free speech might be made the issue to allow yourself to be sent home at the order of the police was accepting the police point of view as to what was moral Moreover, you were bound for the principle of the thing to carry it into the court for a legal decision. If the pulpit and press were denied you, you must take it to the dock. Captain Donahue kept repeating to me, Please get off this stage before you cause disorder. Police now began to hustle the audience towards half a dozen exits, and finally Miss Windsor and I were put under arrest. Robert McSee Marsh, Mrs. Delafield's son-in-law, offered to act as our counsel. Juliet said to an officer, Why don't you arrest me, too? Well, you can come along if you like, he agreed. So we walked together up Broadway to the station at West 47th Street, policemen flanking us. The crowd, still jeering the reserves who had been trying vainly to clear the way, fell in line and marched behind us. A patrol wagon then took us to night court, where we were arraigned before Magistrate McQuade. Someone had telephoned J. J., and he came up later, but Mr. Marsh had already taken care of the necessary formalities. We were released on our own recognizances. To appear at court the following morning. It was now some time after midnight, but we all went back to Juliet's apartment. Harold Cox was shocked not only by the roughness of the police, but also by the supineness of the audience, which had done nothing but make a noise. Had this been in London, they would never have been able to stop the meeting we would have defended our rights used every chair and door and window to barricade the place even though we might have been beaten in the end ann kennedy had brought the reporters and they were waiting for us they wanted to make out a story of police stupidity and let it go at that unable to believe her when she told them it was the archbishop who was responsible a times reporter called up the power house as st patrick's cathedral was colloquially termed reached denin himself and asked for verification yes said the monsignor we closed the meeting then and there we decided to hold a second one as soon as possible at the same place it was well on towards five o'clock when at last I fell in my bed. I sank to slumber, but it was only to find myself still carrying that same baby up the steep and sliding mountain, balancing myself with upraised hand. The sky was dark, the way unmarked. Wearily, I stumbled on. End of Chapter 23, Part 2